studying the book of Philippians, and uh, I am just excited about this book as I was uh, looking ahead and studying for this. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, how many of you have ever went through a trial in your life? All right. If, who has not? All right. All right, good. I didn't. I didn't think there was anyone that that had not. And uh, uh, Philippians is a is a great book. It's a book of encouragement. And um, I want to give you guys a little bit of an introduction. But before we do that, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy over us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us tonight. God, over this study. God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open to what you have to say. God, I pray, Lord, that. The seed of the word would grow into our hearts, Lord, and from that would grow fruit, Lord, in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. So the book of Philippians uh, is, is known as the epistle of joy, um, and it, it's interesting, uh, it's encouraging to us. It was written by uh, Paul about 60 A.D., most scholars believe around that time frame. I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of basis, a little bit of history here, just so you can kind of put into perspective. Uh, we're talking about this this epistle being the epistle of joy and, and, and encouragement. And interestingly enough, Paul, the author of this book, uh, he's writing to the church of Philippi while he's in prison. And uh, anybody wrote any books while you were in prison? All right. And, uh, and the church in Philippi was the uh, first church that Paul had founded. And you may, may remember... Uh, his first convert, who was Lydia, you know, how many remember that story out of Acts? I believe it's chapter sixteen. Uh, there, we'll, I'll make, I'll allude to that in a in a little bit. But Paul finds himself after establishing this church. Uh, he's been arrested uh, in Acts chapter twenty one through twenty eight. He's a, he's awaiting trial. You know the story there. Uh, the woman with the uh, who was a fortune teller basically and and uh, oppressed and. Um, demonically oppressed and possessed and was giving fortunes and Paul was not having it and uh, he cast out the demon and the people that uh, had who were the owners of this young lady this she was a slave to them got upset because they lost their money and they they couldn't get any money so they had Paul thrown into prison there's a lot to that going going up to that but here we find Paul in in jail and joy, uh, and we know this in the book of Philippians, joy or rejoice is mentioned 19 times in this book. 19 times, okay? Uh, 19 times it's mentioned in the four, there's only four chapters, so hopefully four weeks from now we'll be done. And this is not the kind of letter that you would expect from someone who is in jail, writing in prison. And I can give you a little bit of He's incarcerated here, but not only is he incarcerated in jail, but he actually has uh, some of the top Roman guards there, and they are chained to him, and they have to be with him for six hours, and then they switch to another guard. Every six hours, they're changing. So he's got, not only is he in prison, but he's got Roman soldiers that are chained to him. They really thought he was a threat, and I want to just talk to you a little bit about that. Um, one of the most uh, important components in understanding a joyful, successful uh, uh, Christianity is this. And if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're here, you, you take notes. 
I mean, you can learn, you can learn some things here, is this, and you can write this down. You cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind. You cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind, okay? Now, uh, on the flip side of that, conversely, God can change your heart, but will not change your mind. All right, you, you guys with me? I'm, I'm going to repeat that. You cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind. And conversely, God can change your heart, but will not change your mind. God gives us free will. He allows you to think the thoughts that you want to think. He allows you to do the things that you want to do. But God can change our heart. How many know that? Amen. And, uh, and it, it's, it's my job and it's our job when, we're, when we are going through trials to keep the right perspective. And that starts right here. In our mind, okay? Um, so therefore, if I change my mind about a situation, God will help me change my heart, okay? If I change my mind about a situation, uh, can I tell you something about stinking thinking? Stinking thinking, okay, is not something you inherit. It's something that you develop. It's a discipline. When you have bad thoughts, you have developed your mind to think that way. So if you have a bad attitude, point the finger this way and say, it's on me. It's you, okay? All right. Is it you, Pastor? That's what you're saying. It's you, Pastor, right? No, it, it's on you. So if you have a bad attitude, the first person you need to look at why you have that bad attitude is me. All right? Proverbs 23, 7, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said this, as a man thinketh in his heart, he is. Starts here, and that's the way it goes. So Paul in prison would, would change his mind and encourage us, and he's encouraging the church in Philippi to do the same. So Philippians can be broken up into four parts, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Was your mind blown by that? Okay. But chapter 1 deals with this. It, it deals with the single mind. Chapter 2 deals with this, the submitted mind. Chapter 3 deals with this, the simple mind. That's my chapter. I got a simple mind, all right? And number 4 deals with this, the settled mind. And I believe if we take the time to study this book thoroughly and, 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 look, and look through this book, uh, we, and we pray it in and we work it out, like Paul, you'll be able to rejoice regardless of whatever you are facing. How many want to do that? All right, so... Uh, so we're going to do this. So if you if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 tonight, all right? Surprise. Uh, usually I start backwards. I'll start. No, I'm just kidding. It's Philippians chapter 1. And um, if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it up here on, this, on the screen. And the, the, the first portion of this, Paul always starts all, all of the books that he wrote. He always uh, has a greeting. Now, this greeting's a little bit different um, than most of his other greetings because in most other books, he gives his credentials up front. But here, because he's writing to familiar, uh, a familiar church, he, does, he's not, he doesn't have to, to tell everybody who he is, okay? So he's writing here, and he says, Greetings, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all saints in Christ. Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So what we need to know is Philippi is a city. It uh, would have been in present-day Greece, okay? Uh, and so that's where that would be. And uh, he's just basically saying, hey, guys, 
How are you? Long time no. We take that for granted now because we have our phones. We can FaceTime. We can text. We can respond to people really fast. But, but here Paul is just responding to them in the way that he could. Uh, we need to understand something here. At the end of that, it says, uh, talking about Jesus, who uh, it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. I want to break that down, the overseers and the deacons, just so you can kind of understand that. Overseers here can be translated to three things, a bishop, an elder, and a pastor, okay? Overseers and uh, the King James Version. Anybody have a King James Version Bible on you? No? All right. You do? Uh, okay. What, 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 is, what does yours say? It says, it doesn't say overseers, does it? Okay, so with bishops, okay, so uh, the King James says bishops, so, and what we need to understand about those three things, they're, they're all interchangeable here. Remember, I, I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, the Greek words, sometimes the English language fails to split them up, so these are all interchangeable here. So bishop comes from the Greek word, and, and listen, I'm not a Greek uh, expert at all. Matter of fact, one of the churches that I used to attend had a Greek woman in it. And, man, I was always really, really, like, slow to say Greek words. I'd be like, yes, he, I'd be watching her, and I, she would, I would just butcher it really bad. But it, but it comes from the Greek word, uh, uh, epikopos means overseer, or as our translator reads, it means somebody that, that is over a ministry, um, just um, somebody that, that and so uh, in our organization, um, you hear uh, Bishop Helton comes here. We call him Bishop Helton because he is an overseer of many churches and many ministries, okay? So uh, that's how that. So the second one there is elder and uh, presitorius. Uh, it comes from the Greek word there. I'm not going to say that one again, okay? And it means this, one who is mature. So basically one who is old. No, not necessarily. Uh, one who is mature, one who, is, who has experience, one who has wisdom, somebody that's been around. And how many know that we all need to have a good elder in our lives sometimes, somebody who can give us wisdom at, at moments and in times. All right. The last one uh, word is poimen, and that one can be translated, the Greek word poimen can be translated to pastor, which describes uh, one who feeds the flock. So three things there. I know we're breaking this down, and what we're doing, I, I, and I might add this, while I'm going through this, we're going to break this down, scripture by scripture, uh, just so you can kind of get a little bit of understanding. So overseers there, he's talking to the leaders, the bishops, the elders, and the pastors there, and then he doesn't leave these guys out, the deacons, and the deacons are those who serve in a practical way, as seen by those who, um, you can look in actor, Acts chapter 6, they were the ones that were serving tables. Uh, they are the ones, uh, uh, you can also look, who would go and see the sick, and they served the people as well, okay? So, so deacons there. So uh, verse 2 says this. You're like, man, if we go verse by verse like that, it's going to take all night. Well, it might. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, verse 2 says this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes into this, this prayer, which is, which is pretty common for, for Paul. He comes in, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
I'm thanking God as I remember you. Today, uh, I was thinking about a young man that I had a chance to mentor in my life. And uh, I just had him on my heart. And for when, when I do that, you know what I, when I, when God puts someone on my heart, you know what I do? I text them or I call them because there's a reason. And I don't understand, I don't always understand, but I usually will just pick up the phone and I'll text them and say, hey, how are you doing? I was just thinking about you, had you on my heart. You would be surprised what that will do for somebody's day. So today I did that and got a great report from this young man who I hadn't talked to in a while. And I love that. I thought that was, that was a cool experience. So, uh, so he's thinking about the church of Philippi and he's remembering them. He's thanking God for them. When's the last time you thought about somebody and you said, God, thank you for that person in my life. It's a good example for us. Verse 4 says, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Everyone say joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so if you know this story, there's, there's a lot to this. Paul was on, on a journey. Uh, he, his journey to Philippi was far from predictable. It wasn't like he just got in the car and said, hey, I'm going to go up the road to Bloomington. It wasn't like that. Matter of fact, he had made plans to go to Asia, which is the opposite direction of, of, of where Philippi was. And, uh, and so he made a stop in Asia in Derbe and Lystra to get uh, there. Uh, there he meets Timothy, and they get together in Acts chapter 16. Uh, he, he says, uh, he, he says the spirit would not let us go to Asia. He's trying to get to Asia. Matter of fact, he's got his back to the sea and, the, and it says the door was slammed shut. Basically, that's in essence what Paul says. The door was slammed shut. I was trying to get to Asia and God shut that door. Now, Psalms 37, 23, I want to point something out to you. It says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Did you know, uh, another way, some of you may know that in the King James, uh, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Did you know that when you are in right standing with God, when you are righteous with God, he has your steps ordained. That means that you can walk in confidence every day knowing that God has your steps ordained ordained it's pretty I, I love that but look at this equally true to the steps I begin to think about this equally true to the steps are the stops that the Lord directs we like the steps part but sometimes we want God to open this door for us and God's not allowing that door to be open so what do we do we knock on it we check to see if it's locked we kick it Lord, you want me to have this job. You want me to have this job. And sometimes we like the part that our steps are ordered, but sometimes God just says, nope. And sometimes that's hard for us to understand. Stops are as valid as steps in our lives. So when God doesn't allow it to happen, you ought to take note. Um, you know, there's this story of this mom who was contemplating to tell her five-year-old daughter that the family dog had died. And the mom gave her some milk and some cookies to kind of butter her up to let her know that the family dog had died. She was really just kind of postponing it so she wouldn't have to tell this little girl. And when she waited and waited, she finally just broke the news. The, she said, honey, Fido died and went to heaven. To which the little girl replied, 
What does God want with a dead dog? Sometimes our stops, right? Same with us. Often we fight shut doors, you know. Um, I've been there. And when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want, uh, we, we often fight God instead of being submitted to him. And Paul found his back to the sea. I don't know where else to go. I got my back to the sea. If I go any further, I'm going to be in the ocean. And saw the Macedonian man saying, come over here and help us out. God just went pivot, go this direction. And what I love about Paul is he didn't hesitate. God said, let's go. This door shut. Let's go to this open door. And he allowed God to direct his steps and his stops to get him where the Lord needed him most. I wonder what God would do in our lives if we just allowed the Lord to ordain our steps and our stops. Instead of fighting him and just going all the way. So here is what he does. He sails across the sea to not find a man, but he finds this woman named Lydia and some ladies that are praying by the riverside. And there they are. And, you know, God's plans was a little bit different because uh, because of these ladies. And Paul's obedience to their there when he goes there. Remember the man came and said, hey, uh, we need your help here. He asked him to come. Then he goes and he shows up. Guess what? It's Lydia and a bunch of ladies. It's like God has a sense of humor, you know, almost. And so there they are and they're praying. And out of Lydia, who uh, the Bible says that she was a maker of purple cloth. I don't know what that was, but it was must have been something amazing, right? She was a maker of purple cloth. And through these ladies, the church in Philippi was founded. And then can I tell you this? It was out of obedience by Paul that this church was founded. We are here today because someone was obedient to the Lord. You know why this building exists? You know why this church is here? Because somebody was obedient to walking in the direction that God told them to. You know why these you're sitting in a padded seat today? Because somebody was obedient to the Lord. We are here today because of that. And I say, hey, Lord, in this season and in this time, let us be obedient to what you are asking us to do, whether it's steps or whether it's stop. But help us to stay in step with the Spirit of God. Amen. I love that. What a great example. So we, that's, that's the first thing. Our steps and our stops are ordered by God. Verse 6 says this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How many know that verse? How many have quoted that verse? How many learned that verse in Sunday school? All right. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul's in prison, okay. Going back, he's writing a letter to the, to the Philippian church. He's in prison. Ten years has passed since Paul ran into Lydia and, and the gals at the riverbank praying. And here he is, and, and scholars, some scholars say yes, some scholars say no. I don't know. Uh, but here he is. I believe this. I believe he's in a Roman prison, okay, at this time. And he's thinking about what the Lord has not, not what the Lord's done in him, but what the Lord has done in the church in Philippi. He's thinking about them thinking good thoughts about them 
And I love that because here's Paul's heart is filled with confidence concerning the Philippian church. He's there in prison and he's he's just like, man, I am confident that they are doing good things. How many want people to look at you and say, I am confident that they are doing good things for God? I mean, I do. Are we being honest? Yeah, I do. Can I tell you this? What God starts, he finishes. God doesn't start a project and walk away from it. Now, it may take a season before it's done, but God, what he starts, he always finishes. It's not like me. I start a project, and I walk away, and I start another project, and then I start another project, and then before I know it, I've got seven projects going, and they're all terrible. But I'm so glad that I serve a God that when he starts something, he finishes it. I'm feeling confident that in in what God has begun here long ago, he will continue to do, all right? If, if uh, I believe, if Sister Elsie, she's not here tonight, but she comes on Sundays, but she, I believe she's the oldest member of our church. Is that right? Am I, am I wrong? Am I right, Brother Mike? Okay. All right. And, and, and she could probably tell us some stories. I believe, was she here when the church was founded or pretty close? Okay. So she was. So she could probably tell us some stories of where our church started and where we are now. And how God has brought us what God starts, he will finish. I love that. What God starts, he will finish. Um, can I tell you this? Uh, the fact that God would develop and build up and mature people like you and me is a miracle. It's a miracle to me because I feel like Paul, or, you know, I feel like there's nothing good in when I know to do right, guess what? I don't do right. When I know I shouldn't do it, guess what I do? That very thing. I, that's what I feel like. And I think it's a miracle that God would even call and use people like you and people like me in this realm. It blows my mind. We, when, you, when you think about it, most of us, we look at this, we look at our lives. And um, uh, over the years, I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to, uh, I was a student minister pastor for a while and some of the coolest things when I make contact with some of my past students and I look and see what they're doing and I see how God has brought them and how they are uh, God has called them and God has placed them in places that I never even imagined they would go but they're they're sharing the gospel and they're spreading the gospel of Jesus I, I love that I love that and I've seen them mature and here's the thing he's taking um, he's taking us and just like my former students, he's not only taking them, but he's taking us, he's taking you, he's taking us into deeper waters, okay, deeper waters. So Jesus would say this in Luke 12, 32, that fear not, little flock, for it is, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, God has put the kingdom in your hands. That blows my mind. God puts salvation in our hearts and, and 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 we accept Jesus but he puts the good news in our hands to spread it and I don't know about you but I see that as such a great responsibility and, and may I never not take that serious I say hey God keep me on task he's given it to us he will complete it yes even 
even to you and to me, and I believe that's a miracle. Verse 7 says this, it's a, it, it is right for me to feel the way about you all because I hold you in my heart. So here's Paul writing, he's talking to the people in Philippi. I, I don't know, out of the first seven verses in here, do you catch the theme that Paul loves these people? I do. Uh, it's, and he says it right here, because I told, I, I hold you in my heart. If you're holding someone in your heart, you must care about them. And if we were honest, to many of the people we are linked to, we would say this. You get on my nerves. Don't look at me pious like you don't do that. You get on my nerves, right? Uh, or we would say, uh, you know. You're not perfect or you're frustrating me right now. It reminds me of my kids. I know they love each other, but there is nobody in the world that can irritate someone else like your sibling can irritate you. They know you. They know what makes you tick, and they will get under your skin like that. Or I'll, I'll one-up you. How about your spouse? How well do they know you? I'm just going to say this right here. Oh, it's going to be that way, huh? I see what you're doing there. So, but, but oftentimes in our lives, when, when we, we don't have people in the right pers perspective in our hearts, we, we, we sometimes we get irritated by people. But not Paul. He says this. You think Paul had frustrations with the church in, in, in Philippi? I believe he did at moments. But you know what? His love for them exceeded those, those mistakes. He had them in his heart. Verse, uh, the second part of verse 7 says this. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul is in prison, and he should be pouting. I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, I might be pouting. But you know what Paul's doing? He's not pouting. He's pinning. He's writing. He's writing things down. And he's writing. Look at this. He's writing a letter of love and a letter of encouragement to the Philippians. How many like encouraging letters and, and, and cards? You know, I said it a minute ago. If God puts someone on your heart, one of the best ministries that you can do is pick up that phone and call them and just say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I love you. I appreciate what you do. Or write a card. Maybe you, you do cards. Write a card. Man, if you want to go old school, write a letter. Me and Tristan used to write letters back and forth in school before there were cell phones. You, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, and be like slip it in her locker and then, you know, you know, go back to class. She'd get that letter. And every time I'd open my locker, I'd hope there was a letter in there. But, you know, it's the same thing for us. Lo letters of encouragement and letters of love and words of encouragement and words of love. Paul's being a great example here. He had every right in the world to just be upset and just fold his arms and say, I'm just upset because I'm in prison. But not Paul. His attitude was way different. You know what? I may be in prison, but I'm going to take this time to encourage some people. Can I tell you this? If you're going through a trial, you're going through a situation, you want help getting through that, encourage somebody. Encourage someone else. But I'm the one that needs encouragement. Encourage someone else. It's amazing. Verse 8 says this, for God is my witness, now I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, are you catching it? Paul loves these people. Not only does he have them in his heart, but now he's yearning to be with them. You ever, you ever uh, been away from someone and you haven't seen in a while and you just thought, man, I, I just really want to see them. 
You know, my parents, uh, when I was 18, I, we were living in California, my parents, and my parents left and went to Missouri, and I stayed in California. And I went a long time without seeing my parents. And, you know, that was, that was tough because I was pretty close to my parents. And there was moments in that time frame in my life that I yearned to see them and I missed them. And so this is Paul right here. Uh, the King James Version says, I yearn for you with my bowels. He wasn't having a stomach ache. You know, uh, <laughs> And Paul, in, in the Old Testament, and I believe that almost like they had it right. We say today, you know, Valentine's Day, we send hearts. Can you imagine if we sent candy, chocolate, bowels? That was the Old Testament. It was the seat of emotion. They used the bowels, you know. So it's like, here, baby, I got you a bowel, chocolate bowel, right? And so, but, but I believe, I think there's something to be said about when we say something, when I love you from, the, from my deepest part, from my deep, deepest insides here, Paul's saying that from my bowels, man, I, I yearn for you guys. I, I miss you guys. So what gave Paul this kind of love and, and what caused him to write this book in prison rather than pouting in prison? I believe it's this. It's because Paul utilized his time in prison to pray. It's amazing what prayer will do to your perspective. You got a bad perspective? First thing you need to look at is your prayer life. Now, I, I had a friend who was a youth pastor, and I was talking to him one time, and he said something that was revolutionary to me. And he said, uh, man, he said, sometimes, you know, things just don't go our way. And I said, yeah, man, I know in ministry that happens. And, and he said, sometimes, uh, you know, I get upset, and I look at my pastor, and I'm like, man, why are you doing this? Why are you making this decision? Why are you this, that, that? And he goes, and you know what that does for me? And I'm like, man, I'm waiting for him to be like, yeah. You know, we're both youth pastors. We know more than the pastor, right? And I'm waiting on him to tell me something. And he, he says something very profound to me. He says, you know what that tells me? And I said, what's that? He goes, that I need to go pray. I was like, that was not what I was expecting. And I believe Paul in this moment, he's just praying and he's loving. He's praying for people. Can I tell you this? Praying for someone shows that you care for them. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've been guilty where I haven't called out people's names in prayer. And you're probably the same way. None of us are perfect, right? But praying for someone shows that you care for them. Maybe do this if you're having a struggle with someone. Instead of talking about them, pray for them. Or let, let me let me let me say that another way. Instead of instead of talking about them with someone else, why don't you talk to the, talk to the Lord about them? That's called prayer. <laughs> All right? Uh, praying for someone shows that you care for them. So can I ask you this? Who's on your nerves? Who's robbing your joy? Is it your boss? Everyone's like, yeah, that's me. That's my boss. It's on my nerves, right? Is it your husband? Don't raise your hand if they're in here. Is it your wife? Maybe you go to school. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe they keep cutting the grass further and further over. They're trying to get in your property line. You're like, what are they doing? They're over two inches than they were last year. Maybe they're getting on your nerves. Can I ask you this? If someone's getting on your nerves, instead of complaining about them, have you tried praying for them? I know, that's tough. Man, that's tough. 
And I believe this. When we pray for them, two things will happen. All right? Two things will happen. You can write these down. Because God answers prayer, they will change. They may not change in the way that you think they should, but they will change. Okay? They will change. Secondly, you will begin to change as you pray for them. That's the key. You will change as you begin to pray for them. And remember, this book is about changing our what? Mindset. Changing our mindset. I mean, can you? I just feel like encouraged just by what, I, what I've talked about so far. In Exodus, we learned that the high priest had a breastplate with 12 tribes of Israel with jewels all over this chest plate. And it was over his heart. And, uh, it, and the, the people of Israel, they were stubborn. They were backslidden at times. They were unappreciative, and they were rebellious. But can I tell you this? Even that, the high priest knew them by name because they were on over his heart. Okay, now look, I'm going to show you something. But that's only half the story because on the shoulder of the high priest's ephod, which is this, this veil that would come over, uh, over their head, it was the prayer cloth, where were the names of the tribes of Israel. And these names would rest on the shoulders of the high priest. So not only was the 12 tribes, there was jewels here that reminded them, hey, this is, th this, is this tribe. I need to pray. They're on our hearts. But the names were written on their shoulders. Now, and you see where I'm going with, their, with this. Did you know that when you begin to pray for someone, you begin to shoulder their load and help carry that load, that burden for them? Now, some of us, we want to take credit for getting out of situations, but I'm going to tell you this. I am a product of a praying mom and a praying dad, and I am a product of people that have prayed for me when I didn't even realize they were praying for me, and, and let me tell you what, how encouraging it is to me to know that there are people praying for me and helping me to shoulder a load, and I can tell you this, there are people here that are willing to walk with you and help you shoulder the load that you are carrying. Do you believe that? Amen. I believe that. And, and, and this is what we need to know. Those, those names on the shoulders, it speaks of intercessory prayer, not just a five-minute prayer, but one that touches heaven and changes as we pray. I'm so guilty of that sometimes. It's like, hey, will you pray for me? And I'm like, yeah, I sure will. And guess what I don't do? Have you ever been guilty of that? Someone's like, will you pray for me? You're like, yes, I, I will pray for you. And then they come back like, okay, I'm a little, be, be honest here. Be a little transparent for pastor right here. Sometimes people will come back and be like, thank you for praying for me. I'm like, yeah, God answered my prayer. Yeah, he did. Man, I can't believe I forgot to pray for you, right? But we, we can't just say things. We got to actually work through things we have to do things it's it's not enough to just say something it's we got to help carry each other's loads can i tell you this pray for those that bug you someone pulls out in front of you this is this is my advice someone pulls out in front of you or doesn't go fast enough at the stoplight instead of going come on i should just go i'm praying that you hit the accelerator <laughs> that's probably what i would say <laughs> i'm just being real but we should pray good things on them and let me tell you something, when you pray good things on people that bug you, guess what? It keeps bitterness from entering into you. I was, I was reminded today, my, my friend called me, another friend had called me, and he called me just to tell me this amazing story about his pastor and ministry and how someone had blessed 
this pastor, I mean, tremendously in like a huge way. I was just like, and he serves underneath this pastor. And he said, man, I just had to tell someone the good news. And he had, it didn't, it didn't help him. And I thought, and I told him, I said, good for you for being excited for what God, how God is blessing someone else. And not having a bad attitude saying, boy, I wish that was me getting a blessing. But he was equally as excited for his pastor. And I thought that was amazing. Verse 9 says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Um, after uh, patting the, Phil- uh, the Philippians on the back here, good job. My prayer uh, is that, his prayer is that you will love abound that your love will bound more and more. Now, can I tell you this? Paul was not into sloppy agape. Okay, for some of you, agape is unconditional love, or we, and that's used in Scripture here. But Paul was not into sloppy agape, which is where anything goes and everything was fine with him. No, he says, I want you to be better. I want you to be better. I'm glad God's grace is there, but listen, God's grace is there so you can be better, so you can move on past this point. So, But look, how does he say that? Read on. The next portion of Scripture says this. With knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. How will our love grow? Not by finding faults by others and sniffing out other people's sins. That's not going to help my love grow. Honestly, my love for others, it's actually going to probably make it worse if I look at someone and I start looking at all the details of their life. And you ought to be doing this, and you should be doing this, and pointing out their flaws. Hey, this is, this is good just in your everyday life with your family. But by excellence approving. That's it. That's, that's what Scripture said. By excellence approving. See, I can glean... You know what's interesting is I can glean from uh, a ministry that's in Los Angeles. Okay, I can I can watch a, a podcast or I can I can watch a live stream from a church and, and I can glean from that. Guess that's true. And I can g- get a book on Amazon or I can download a book and I can read a book. Guess what? I can glean from that. I can glean from a teacher. I can glean from a parent. But uh, and, and here's what we need to understand: as believers, we can glean from anybody that models Jesus Christ. Anybody, you know, my neighbor, and you've heard me talk about my neighbor, and uh, he has an interesting story, and he talks about how he was addicted to alcohol, and he served in Vietnam, and and how that really, uh, he, he hasn't gone too far into it with me, but but I'm, there's a correlation between the alcohol and what happened in in in, uh, in Vietnam. But he he said I, I hit rock bottom. He he told me this. He said I hit rock bottom, and I, and I said God, please take this away from me. Please take this away from me. He said and God took it away from me like that, and he replaced it with, you know, he does chainsaw life. Sounds crazy. It's amazing. He's doing a Sasquatch about this tall right now, and it's sitting there looking at my yard. I love it. But he said, God, I don't want to be bound to this. God, help me. And God helped him. And even in Tony, I mean, he's, he's not a perfect man by any means. But I see the love of Christ coming from him and in his actions, what he does. He loves people unconditionally. He tells me, he said, I can't judge anybody. He said, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I said, hey, me and you both, 
we're in the same boat. And so, but I see in his life, uh, uh, and there's aspects of everybody's life, if, if we can look through it, there's the nature of Christ. It, it, imperfect, though sometimes, as it may be, sometimes we can glean from people. Verse 11 says this, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In Deuteronomy 20, a chapter on going to war. If you look up the heading in Deuteronomy 20, it says going to war. Not lying. 2019 says this, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that they should be besieged by you? You say, hey, that's cool, TJ. What's that have to do with me? It has a lot to do with us. We oftentimes will go to war with people. All right, how do we do this? We go to war with people with our words sometimes. Sometimes someone makes us mad. And so what do we do? We retaliate. Sometimes our neighbor makes us mad. We retaliate. We do something and, and we go to war with people by using our words. You're guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. And I don't know about you. I, I God's really worked a lot of miracles in my life when I look at it. I've been guilty of this, of accusing ministries, swinging an axe. Well, they don't do this, and they don't do that, and that and this. And I, here I am swinging an axe at a ministry that I don't really know that much about. I'm just believing what I'm hearing versus actually knowing that's a dangerous place to be, and I'm cutting down trees. Then I find myself, check this out, then I find myself in a situation, and I find myself going to those very people that I was cutting down, and they actually have the answer for me. So that scripture is telling us, be careful what you say, because guess what? The people that you're cutting down, may be the ones that can help you through a season, all right? Now, I believe, I mean, God's work, God, God is perfecting me. I'm not perfect by any means, but let me tell you something. I'm learning. I'm learning this in my life, uh, and, and I, like I said, I've been guilty of doing that, coming in swinging, and I find myself uh, going, uh, you know, after time, going to those people in, in for prayer. Can I tell you this? Don't pick on people. Don't pick on groups or ministries. I'm not saying you don't look and test what they're, the fruit, okay? I'm not saying that. If they're preaching heresy, you, you, you got to call it out, okay? If that's the case, that's one thing. But there have been moments where I believe what someone else said about them, and guess what? I formed an opinion, and let me tell you something. I've learned that is a dangerous place to be. And you know what I've learned is I give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't care if my best friend told me that person did this, this. I still give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay? Uh, so don't pick on them. Don't pick on them for, for that which is helpful and, and fruitful in your life. So here's, the, here's verse 12, and this is the third portion of this, this chapter. is advancing the gospel. I like this. Paul goes from a thankful heart to advancing the gospel. Verse 12 says this. I want you to know, brothers... Talking about not just brothers, brothers and sisters, this is everybody. That what has happened to me 
has really served to advance the gospel? What if you looked at your life and said, hey, what's happened to me in my life is actually beneficial to spreading the gospel. It's been beneficial to, to creating who I am right now in the Lord. I believe and I'm convinced that the things that happen to us, trials, troubles, situations, are designed to do one thing. Trials, situations, whatever. I believe one thing to allow us to draw others to Jesus Christ and encourage them in Jesus Christ. The trials that you're going through are going to be your testimony. People are going to know the goodness of God because of the trials that you've been through, the tests that you've been through. And pretty soon someone's going to come to you and be like, I got it. let me tell you about my situation because I went through something very similar to that. And can I tell you this? God was faithful. God was good. God helped me get through that situation. Verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole uh, imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I like this because I, I was as I wrote this down, Paul's plan was to go to Rome. That's what he always he wanted to do. He wanted to go uh, speak in front of, uh, you know, Caesar and he wanted to speak in front of the dignitaries. And he did do that. OK, he did do that. But God had a better plan. How many know God always has a better plan? You know, we can make our plans. I think God laughs at us when we make our plans, but God always has a better plan. But look what God did. He brought Rome to, to Paul in the form of the, the, the Roman guards. Caesar's guards would come. They were the, the guards that were attached to him. God brought Rome straight to him in prison. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you something here. So I said this earlier, every six hours a different one uh, guard would come in on duty. And this is what was happening. If you were to be chained to Paul for six hours, you're going to get saved because Paul's not going to waste an opportunity. He's going to just well on you for six hours. Oh, I'm just going to tell you how good God is. I'm going to tell you that you need salvation. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you what God has brought me through. And, and so members uh, of the Praetorian Guard, they would come. They, these were Caesar's closest guards it would be kind of like the i guess the uh, the secret service for the president or or uh, the ss guards for for uh, for for um hitler so these guys were were the these guards for for uh, uh caesar and so there they would come in and this is what's happening they're being chained to paul guess what they're all starting to get saved and guess what so they would come in they'd get saved guess where they'd go back to Nero, and begin revivals, kind of like breaking out there in 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 the Roman in the Roman palace. It's pretty amazing. And can I tell you something? I like Paul's perspective here. Paul's perspective is amazing. I love it. In Paul's mind, guess what? He's not in prison. I'm winning. I'm winning right now. Ha! I'm in prison. Guess what? I'm getting to talk to guards about Jesus. I'm getting to tell people about Jesus. And guess what? And they're going back. And guess what? Nero is hearing what's happening. I'm winning. I love that. What if we look through that type of lens in our life instead of, woe is me. <laughs> I'm in prison. I got this Roman guard chained to me. Lord, get me out of here. What if we look through that, our, our lives through that type of lens, what if all the bad things we think are happening to us are only helping us to grow, putting us in a position 
to spread the gospel. It changes our perspective when we look at it that way. I love that. Are you encouraged by that? I'm encouraged by that. Verse 14 says this, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. There's proof. They're all getting saved. Most of them. Most of them are getting saved. He's still working on a few of them. Are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That means when they go back into the house of Caesar, guess what? They're not afraid to say, hey, there's this guy in prison. I don't know. You might want to check him out because he, he knows what he's talking about. In addition to Roman soldiers getting saved, uh, now that I'm no longer with you, he's saying, or verse 14 says, uh, most of the brothers have, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So look at this. So in addition to the Roman soldiers getting saved, now I'm no longer with you. Others are filling in and speaking in his place. So the people in Philippi, all the, all the leaders, the, the bishops, the, the, the pastors and, and the deacons, and they're speaking. And it's, a, it's making room for people to share the gospel. Paul says, I can't be there, but guess what? Other people are continuing on the ministry. Can I tell you this? This church should not be built on one personality. And if it is, it should be Jesus Christ and not a pastor. All right? Now, you heard it right here. Okay? This church should be built on the personality of Jesus Christ and not one man. Whatever your ministry is. Whatever your ministry is, something I was taught a long time ago, there should always be someone to step up if you were to have to step out for a little bit. Fill that spot in your absence. You know, it's like uh, in, in raising a Joshua, Moses' time, raising a Joshua, making room for him, taking your ministry to a, to a higher notch in, a, in, in your absence. Verse 15 says this, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to hurry up here. Some indeed preach, it didn't say that, okay, it didn't say that, verse 15 didn't say that. Verse 15 says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put there for the defense of the gospel. So he says this, some are preaching for the right reasons, and others are not. Some are preaching for the right reasons, others are not. Today, in our world, some are preaching for the right reasons, and others are not. Careful where you're waving your axe. Okay? While Paul is absent, some in Philippi are exploiting the situation and they're grabbing for power and position. Unfortunately, that happens in churches. Oh, man, if I could just grab power, if I could, if I could just get a hold of this, it's, it's power play right now. If I could be in charge of this ministry, then I know this and this and that and that. Can I tell you something? God always elevates you in his time, not your time. If you're gifted at something, you don't, you don't have to go around going, this is my gift, this is my gift, this is my gift. God will promote you at the right time. And it's always right. See, if we aren't careful, we can, we can see this in church. Titles and positions become so important. Let me tell you something. Titles and positions don't matter. The only title and position that really matters in the church is this. Servant. That's the only one that matters. You're called to be a servant. Guess what? I'm called to be a servant. Your role is not less than mine, and mine is not less than yours. 
we're the same. We're all servants of Jesus Christ. All right? Uh, uh, the, the, and here's what we need to know. We all need, truth is, we are all servants. The greater the position, look at this, the greater the position, you can write this down, the greater the position, the greater the servant's heart should be. So when you're like, hey, I want that title, guess what? That title may mean that you got to do a whole lot more as a servant. Are you ready for that? So, uh, so we, need to, we should be. So most likely referring to those preaching uh, here, he's talking about those who are not, who are doing it on their own. He's talking about those who are um, preaching rules and legalism. And he calls them uh, envy and, 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 and rivalry here in the, in the ESV version. The, K, the King James version says contention. That's an old, old word. Contention means this, to canvass politically. You know what that means? Thank you for your vote. Thank you for your vote. Thank you for your vote. Thank you for your vote, right? Canvassing. Paul is saying some preach to, to increase their own influence. But look at this, verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I what? Re, I what? Yes, and I will. Okay. This is how Paul clarifies it. I love this. His perspective blows me away because I'm, I'm, more, I'm more pious than he is. I'd be like, I don't like what these people are preaching. But this is what Paul says. Even if people are preaching uh, about Christ with selfish motives, I rejoice anyways. Why? Because Christ is being preached. I don't care as long as Christ is being preached. I'm not worried about who's doing it. This, and Even if their motives are wrong, somewhere in there, they're hearing about Jesus Christ. And now my only goal is to make Jesus famous. I love that. Here, verse 19 says this. And, and, and I'm, 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 we'll, I'll try to cruise through these last verses here. Uh, the last portion of this is to, to live as Christ. For, uh, verse 19, for I know that through our prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, as it is my eager ex expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full co courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul, Paul would do this. He would magnify Christ through his difficulties. I'm going through some trouble, but guess what? I'm going to encourage you guys. And even though it looks bad for me, I still love you guys. You guys are doing a good job. Christ is being preached. Can I tell you this? Why must Christ be magnified? And you might say, you may say that. Why, why does Christ have to be magnified? Isn't he big enough? Can I tell you this? Our son, if it was hollowed out, could hold 1.3 million earths inside of it. That's big, right? That's big. But check this out. Uh, it, but it, the sun, our sun, however, is small compared to Antares. And Antares could hold up to 64 of our suns. So that's big, right? But Antares is a pipsqueak compared to Hercules, which is another star. 
Hercules could, uh, could hold 100 million Antares. That's huge. Hercules is a speck compared to Epsilon. Epsilon could hold 3 million Hercules. And we think about these objects and we think about the, the sky and we look in the sky and we could see these stars. And these objects are huge and they seem small at night when you look into the sky. They look small to us, right? But can I tell you something? When we, when we get a telescope, we are forced to magnify them. You know what that means? We're drawing them close to us as we can with our eyes. We're using a telescope to magnify them, to bring them closer. And here, can I tell you this? Like a telescope, our lives, people are far from Jesus. They're not seeing him clearly. But can I tell you, by the way you live, by the way you act, you are magnifying Jesus. And they are seeing Jesus more clearly than they ever could. Amen? If this is true, can I tell you this? We must do like Paul in difficult times. Rejoice. That's it. We just got verse 21. Woo. All right. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I don't like that verse. It's appointed for all of us to die, Scripture says. It's appointed for man to die. But Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is, he didn't say for me to live is wealth and leave it behind for my kids. He didn't say for me to live is pleasure and to die with nothing. He didn't say for me to live is fame. And to die is to leave my mark. That's not what he said. He said, for me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. Uh, no, to live, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, think about this. Have you ever thought about this? The pyramids where in Egypt where they're built, they're, they were built to memorialize the pharaohs. Yet, though they still stand today, how many of you can tell me one of the pharaohs they memorialized? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So think about this. It doesn't matter how we try to memorialize our life or how we try to make Guess what? To live is Christ. To die is gain. So you have to understand what Paul's saying here. This is the single mind. Remember I said this chapter is about living singly minded, not talking about being single, not being in a relationship. Single minded. This is what he's talking about. The single mind we need here is we are to think properly and to live joyfully. When you are a Mr. Businessman, maybe you're Mr. Athlete. I keep moving closer and closer. I'm sorry. Mrs. Successful. Can I tell you, all those things are great, but they will leave you unsatisfied. And one day you're going to die, and it ain't going to matter. All the money in your bank account, when you die, your kids are going to have fun with it. <laughs> Jory says, I'm going to spend it all. Uh, the only way to rejoice through life is to be happy about life and to be full of joy in life is to say, my identity lies solely in Christ. That's it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So if I die, if I die, when I die, it's a gain for me because, you know what, if I'm alive, I have Christ. But if I die, I'm with Christ. That's awesome. Verse 22 says this. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. 
My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm only here because of you guys. Sounds like a mom. Listen, kids, I'm only here because I love you guys, right? And he's saying that. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. So when you look at my life and I begin I'm magnifying Christ with my life, you can look at that and go, yes, Jesus, yes. Because of my coming to you again. Although I want to go to heaven, says Paul, I know it's important that I continue here on earth sharing the gospel. There are people that still don't know. And I'm called here now, so I want you to be used by God to the fullest while I'm still here. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? The life that you live, is it worthy? Paul's telling there, only let your life be the manner, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, whether I'm here or not, I may hear from you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Catch that last part. It means walking in unity in love with one another. Guess what? If we're walking in love, we're walking in unity because God is love. The King James Version says, let your conversations be worthy of the gospel. Ooh. Lord, help us. Your manner of life and your conversation should be, should be to live worthy of the gospel. Saul, uh, Saul, well, he was Saul. Paul says, when I'm set free and I'm able to, to go see you again in Philippi or whether I remain in prison... I want you to hear that you are standing together in the Lord. My desire is that you are all walking in love and unity, the unity of Christ together. I love that. Unity together. See, our conversations, can I tell you this? Our conversations can cause disunity. That bounced off every wall in here. Our conversations can cause disunity. Do you know our actions can cause disunity? Psalm 133 says, it is pleasant for men to dwell together in unity. And God compares it to the anointing oil running down Aaron's beard and down his robe. God has called us to walk together in unity. Now, verse 28 says this, and I say this, let our actions, it's a lofty goal to walk in unity, but it's a biblical mandate. It's a lofty goal. It's hard. But let me tell you, it's a biblical mandate. And let our words and our actions show unity. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them, their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. Here's the number one, number one thing. And this is what we need to know here. This is what this is talking about. If you are being attacked by the enemy, if you're in a trial, you're in a situation that you feel like you're being attacked, can I tell you something that is proof that you are making an impact? Because if your life is not doing anything, the enemy is not concerned about you. If you aren't doing anything, he's like, I'm not going to mess with him. I'm going to go after the person that's actually doing something. 
That's the first thing. Here, verse 29 says this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only is he being attacked by the enemy proof of our salvation, but it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Whoa, that's a privilege I'm not interested in, TJ. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. You say, hey, TJ, you had me at the first one. I, I was okay with that's proof that, that I'm doing something, but I don't know if it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. I don't understand. The enemy attacks and he provides us the opportunity on which we can show our allegiance to Jesus and our affection towards him. That's what it means to suffer for, for Christ. That means we can show, hey, the world, verse 30, listen, we're on the last verse right here. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw, I had and now fear that I still have. Number three, the third thing, the enemy's attacks are part of the process to make me and you more like Jesus. The Greek word conflict is agon, and it's where we get our word agony from. And uh, can I tell you this? There's no way to go deep in God without going through some difficult times in the Lord. I mean, there's some, you're going to go through difficult times. I mean, difficult not through the Lord, but for the Lord. And there's just no other way. I, I love talking to people who have been saved a long time because from them is a wealth of wisdom and a wealth of stories and a wealth of trials and they've made it through, and they haven't turned away from God. And I love people like that because they, they dug their roots in. They went deep into the Lord and said, I'm not going anywhere. I've got, I've got a single mind. My mind is made up to live for Christ. To die is to gain. That is what I'm doing. So there's no way to go deep uh, in God without going through some difficult times for the Lord. Paul says this. Don't fall down because you're being attacked or going through uh, difficulties. They are proof that you're on target, number one. Here's the second one again. They provide privilege for you to suffer. Number three, they are part of the process. I love that. And Paul says you have to go through, through some things, and you see him going through some things. Even when it's hard, even under the enemy's attack, in difficult days, we've got to have a single mind. And that mind is simply this. The single mind is this. Listen, if you don't catch anything else, the single mind in chapter 1 is this. That to live is Christ. That's it. That to live is Christ. To be on this earth, God, may my life reflect you. May my heart reflect you. May my actions reflect you. Knowing that whatever comes our way will be used by him for our good and his glory. Amen. Are you encouraged tonight? I'm encouraged tonight. I, I don't know about you. If you're going through something right now, and I just want to do this before we close. If you're going through a trial or a situation, and, uh, and I just want to pray with you. And, and, and you can just, I think we're all family here. I'm, I'm all right. We're all family. We all go through trials. Even pastor goes through trials, all right. And you say, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm going through a trial. Can we just pray? And I believe Praying together, understanding this, God, help me to fix my mind. Help me to fix my mind and my trial. Lord, you could fix my heart, but help me 
fix my mind on the right perspective to live as Christ. If, if, if you're going through something, say, hey, I, I just want prayer tonight. Will you just lift your hand? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is what I want you to stand with me, if you will. And if you're standing by, by someone who, who lifted their hand and maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you feel comfortable, will you just pray for the person to your left and, and to your right, okay? Let's just pray corporately. God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for this uh, study, Lord. And Lord, you've called us uh, to, to walk in joy as believers, Lord. And, and though trials may seem tough and they may seem uh, impossible in moments, God, you are a God who is victorious, Lord, and you've given us uh, power uh, over circumstances, Lord. And in this, Lord, as we walk through trials, God, and as you are perfecting our faith, Lord, you are helping us to walk through these things. As we're growing closer to you, as our lives are magnifying who you are, people are seeing the true Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that your presence, God, would just minister and touch, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, in our minds. God, and in our hearts, Lord, help to change our hearts. God, when we have a bad attitude, Lord, help us to see the perspective of the cross. Help us to see the perspective that Paul did, Lord. When it seems impossible, Lord, you've given us an opportunity, Lord, to maybe maybe the situation's bad and, and, and maybe we're having to work from home. But, Lord, maybe that means that you've given us more time to pray, Lord, to be at home with the family. God, help us to see the good, Lord, in situations. God, I pray for each and every person's need. God, no matter how big, no matter how small, you are a God who cares and loves for us all. God, I pray, Lord, to go with us. Lord, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. Lord, that encouragement would go before us. God, I pray, Lord, that our steps are ordered this week. God, that our stops are ordered. In your mighty name we pray. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.